would turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I ran track in middle school and high school. And before we would begin to do the really hard training, you're supposed to warm up your muscles. So we always did this warm-up, or at least we frequently did this warm-up. And it was one of my favorites. I called it the caterpillar. You'd have a baton, and everybody would line up, and you'd jog around, and the person in the front would take the baton, and you'd hand it on back down the line until they got to the last person. Once the last person got the baton, they would sprint to the front of the line, and once they got in the front of the line, they'd pass the baton back, and it would go all the way down the line, and then the person that was then at the end would grab that baton and sprint to the front of the line, and then they would hand the baton back, and it would go back until and this process just kept going over and over. The idea of passing the baton, I think, illustrates Paul's goal here in the letter of 2 Timothy. Paul's nearing the end of his life, which means it's the end of his ministry. He wants this ministry that he's begun in the gospel to continue. And so he writes to his dear friend, Timothy. And Timothy calls, or sorry, Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith, his dearly loved son. So he he wants to pass the baton to his son in the faith. And he wants Timothy to succeed in the work of the gospel. And as we examine this this morning... We need to understand where we are positioned. The reality is, the average age of the majority of church members across the board continues to skew older and older each year. And this church is not unique in that phenomenon, nor is it exempt from that. But there are two main challenges for the church from this passage. We'll look at those as we go through. But let's see what the text says before we do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word that you've given to us. Lord, that it is inerrant and fully inspired by your spirit, as we'll see today. And Lord, that it's beneficial to us for growth and holiness. Lord, I pray this morning that you would encourage us and that you, would ch- that you would challenge us through your word to continue to be your people living and working in your ministry in this community. We pray in Jesus' holy and precious name and by the power of your spirit. Amen. Let's begin reading in verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. Paul writes, But you... Have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
And we'll come back and pick up in verse 14 in just a moment. But first, I want us to see that we need to follow faithful examples. Follow faithful examples. So Paul begins this passage with a word of contrast continuing off the first part of this chapter. See, in the opening of this chapter, Paul had written about the difficulties of the last days. He wrote that people will live however they desire. They will do whatever they think is right. In fact, it reminds me of judges. They will do what they see is right in their own eyes. Some will claim godliness, but they will live denying the power of godliness. And he pointed out that men will oppress the truth. But then he says, Timothy, you're different. Timothy, you are different because instead of being like that, you have followed me, you have heard my message, and you have seen my life. He says these false teachers, they wrap themselves up in these deceitful lies. But in the end, those will all be exposed. The false teachers will be made known. But Timothy had walked closely with Paul. He had seen the truth of the gospel in Paul's life. And so Paul says to Timothy, you followed me. You know the truth of the gospel. Look at the three aspects of Paul's life that Timothy had witnessed firsthand. First, he says, you have followed my teaching. You have followed my teaching. Paul mentions first his message. Timothy knew Paul's message. Paul's writings for us have contributed nearly half of the New Testament. Paul had written profusely to the churches of the area, yet all of Paul's writings are centered in the gospel message. They're they're revolving around the central claim. And in the letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul made his central message clear. Listen to what he says in verse 15 and verses 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians. For I pass on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So all of Paul's letters that he's written to all these churches are simply missional applications of the gospel to different churches and different cultural contexts. His, his theology that we read, all of his great doxology, is all in a missional context of how do I share the gospel with these people and how do I help them understand what it means and how it's going to affect their lives. So that's Paul's writing. And so Timothy had joined Paul when he was on his second missionary journey. And he had spent much time hearing Paul teach in these churches and and been with him as he's writing these letters. But that was in the days before we had cars. Most of the time when they were traveling, they were hoofing it. They were going by foot everywhere they go. So Timothy had plenty of time to, to discuss theology, to discuss practical ministry issues with Paul, and Paul could spend time just pouring into Timothy. And so much so, they had grown so close 
that Paul considered Timothy to be his dearly loved son. And so Timothy had carefully followed Paul's teaching, but he also says, you have followed my lifestyle. You followed my lifestyle. He says that my lifestyle has supported my message. Timothy had witnessed Paul's conduct. He had witnessed Paul's purpose-drivenness. He had witnessed Paul's faith and his patience, his love, and his endurance. Timothy had witnessed Paul living out the message that he preached. And the impact of Paul's righteous life on this young believer and the impact of any righteous life on a young believer cannot be overstated. It is essential that young believers have mature believers whose faith they can see in action, whose faith they can witness on a day-to-day basis. We were talking about the family just a moment ago. It's essential that children see their parents, see their family, their grandparents living out their faith on a practical level each and every day. In fact, I can, I can think of many godly men and women who have influenced my own life. I think of my own parents. I think of my grandparents. I think of my in-laws. I think of the deacons at Mary Niblack who poured into my life as I was growing up there. I can think of our deacons here and their wives who ministered to me throughout the last 12 years or so, off and on as we've been in and out from here. I can think of several pastors and several ministers who've taken time to spend with me, to pour into me, not only speaking God's wisdom to us, to me, but demonstrating it to me on a, on a consistent basis. I've been witness myself to godly men and women who inject the truth of the scriptures into their lives and into my own. But here's the reality. Young men and young ladies, like what we have down here sitting with Chelsea, they need godly instruction. They need godly examples in their lives. And the church must be those to many in our community. Because there are many young men and young ladies in Mansville and in the surrounding area whose homes don't have that. When they go home, they don't see a godly marriage. When they go home, they don't see a godly father or a godly mother. So we need to go out to them. We need to show the love of Christ to them. We need to bring them into not just our church, but into our lives and show them what lives of godliness look like. Show them how we are different from the rest of the world. One of the most important and impactful ways to demonstrate the truth of the gospel as it changes our lives, though, is how we respond to difficult situations. Look at what Paul says to Timothy. You have not only followed my life, he says in verse 11, you've also followed the persecutions and sufferings that have come to me. And Paul mentions several locations of his persecution and of his suffering for the gospel. And I I think Paul mentions these specific locations because of the familiarity to Timothy. 
See, Timothy first meets Paul when he comes along his second missionary journey to Timothy's hometown of Lystra. Paul and Barnabas had proclaimed the gospel in the nearby city of Antioch, but when they began to influence people to become Christians, the Jews rose up and they they kicked them out of the city, and so they, they moved on to Iconium. And while they were in Iconium, the same thing began to happen. They had this great uh, response to the gospel, and the Jews began to see, man, all these people are leaving Judaism to follow after Christ and follow after Paul's teaching, and so they began to plot. How are we going to get Paul and get Barnabas and stone them to death? Well, some disciples found out about this plot, and they warned Paul and Barnabas, and so they left the city and went from Iconium to Lystra. And while they're in Lystra, they meet a man, and the man is is lame, and they heal the man by the power of God. And so he gets up and he begins witnessing. And Paul joins in and begins witnessing with them, and, and all of a sudden all these people are coming and saying, Wow, look at this great miracle that's taking place. Look at Barnabas and Paul. They must be Zeus and Hermes, the Greek gods, come in the flesh to walk amongst their people. And Paul and Barnabas say, no, 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 no. You you have misunderstood us. We are but men, but we come bearing a powerful message. As they began preaching the gospel and people began to, to follow after Christ there. But the Jews, once again, get upset. But not only that, but the Jews that were at Iconium and the Jews that were at Antioch have followed Paul and joined with these groups and these Jews here, and they begin to stir up the people. And so the very people who were praising them as gods one moment have now turned and begin to stone Paul. They begin to throw rocks at him to the point that they think he's dead, they drag him outside of the city and leave, his, leave him there. The disciples go to his body and begin to get him, to, to bring him back, to prepare him for burial. And lo and behold, Paul gets up and walks back into the city to go spread the gospel some more. Well, a few years after these events, Paul had left and continued on his journey. He had come back through another time, encouraging the churches, gone back to Jerusalem and spoke at the council, and now he, he comes back several years later through Lystra, and there he meets Timothy. And Paul's encouragement to Timothy is not really what we want to hear. He says, the persecutions that I endured that you know about, that you witnessed take place, those are not going to be unique to me. Those are for all believers who seek to follow Jesus. All who seek to follow Jesus will be persecuted. You must be able to endure like I did. You must be able to continue on despite people hating you, despite being stoned, despite being beaten for your faith. You must be willing to continue on just as I did. In fact, Paul says, things will only get worse. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being themselves deceived. 
So Paul was instructing Timothy to follow his example, to remain faithful to Christ regardless of the circumstances. And the way people respond in such a circumstance, a negative circumstance, shows what they really believe. I remember when I was at Marionette Black when I was a kid, one of my cousins had come, one of my unsaved cousins that was from you know, the black sheep of the family, that line over there. Uh, he came, he had been in and out of juvenile detention. Uh, he, I think, has now been imprisoned a few times. And so, But he had come to church, and we were excited because we had the opportunity to share the love of Christ with him. But some of his friends put him up to keying one of the older members' car. So we come out, and there's this, this huge scratch all down his car. And this particular member uh, had cancer and was actually, we didn't know how close he was at that point to death, but he was really, really close. But I will always remember his response. He took my cousin aside. He spoke to him in love. He forgave him for his actions. In short, he demonstrated the love of God to my cousin. Church, most of the people that I have met have not had experiences like what Paul has had. They haven't lived like Timothy to see people respond to such circumstances in a godly way. What they've seen is negative reactions from people who don't have the hope of the gospel, who don't have the hope of eternity in their lives. And it's up to believers like you and like me to reach out to them, to bring them alongside of us, to teach them the gospel, and to show them an example of the gospel in every and all circumstances. Continue with me in verse 14. Paul writes, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then comes this familiar passage. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So, Paul's second word to Timothy here is to continue in what you know. Continue in what you know. And this is really the only imperative in this section, the only command that we have. And this is the command to Timothy to continue, to stay the course. Paul says, I'm handing off the baton to you, and now it's time for Timothy to continue the race that he's been running following Paul. Now it's time for him to take the lead. Now Paul is leaving. Just as when we were running our exercises, we'd have to get that baton and sprint to the front to take the lead. Now it's Timothy's turn to sprint to the front, to take the lead, and to continue running the race with endurance. So Paul told Timothy to continue in the things that he had learned and the things that he had become convinced. The challenge for us... The challenge for you is to stay faithful to the things that you know to be true. There are two things Timothy knew to be true, and I think probably the majority of us in here know these things to be true. 
The first is, know who taught the Scriptures to you. You know who taught you the Scriptures. While Paul had been writing about his own example to Timothy, he says, I'm not the only example. We look back at what we read with the children's message earlier. 2 Timothy 1.5, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you also. See, Timothy was schooled by his grandmother and his mother in Old Testament writings. He had learned the need for forgiveness. He had learned the provision of God, and he had learned the necessity of faith. And he had been discipled by Paul, learning in Christ and learning in the church. In each case, Timothy had not only been given knowledge, but he had been given a witness to godly lives. And these people served as examples to Timothy about the truth of God, about the need for endurance, and about the reward of faithfulness. Each person had staked his or her life on the revelation of the scriptures, which according to Paul are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The integrity of the gospel message is somewhat based, somewhat related to the character of those who teach it. Timothy's teachers were his family. He had seen them up close and personal in all the dirty grittiness of life be faithful to the scriptures. He had walked alongside Paul lived alongside Paul and Silas and seen them be faithful to the scriptures in every and all circumstances. Timothy's teachers were men and women of godly, faithful character, which lent to the truth of the gospel. And the challenge for us is that we also must live as examples of the truth of the gospel. He says, not only do you know the scriptures, or sorry, not only do you know those who taught you the scriptures, but you know the scriptures themselves. You know the scriptures. And like I said, these last two verses are fairly common to us. At least in Baptist churches, we like to pull these scriptures out uh, to, to speak about the nature of the Bible and of its trustworthiness, of its inspiration. But the truth is that although the character of the, of the messenger is important, the Bible is trustworthy even aside from the character of those who teach it. Paul says that the Bible is the word of God. It is breathed out by God. The, the Greek word there is pneuma. Pneuma. So you guys who were in Debbie's class this morning, here's you another Greek word. Pneuma. Okay? Pneuma. It means wind. It can mean breath but it can also mean spirit. So the Bible begins with God. The Bible originates in God, and because it does, it has authority in our lives, because just as if I say something to my son, it has my authority behind the word, so also does the Bible have the authority of God behind it. But critical studies of the Bible seek to disprove God's inspiration of the Bible, and therefore question its authenticity. Because admitting that God is the author of the Bible means that the Bible has authority in every area of our lives. The Bible is authoritative in our lives. Now, we must understand the Bible didn't just you know, fall from heaven 
into our laps. It came to us over a, t- a period of time, a long period of time, with over 40 different authors on the human side. But listen to what the Apostle Peter says. No prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So men physically wrote the Bible, but they were directed by the Holy Spirit in both word and substance. The idea here is like that of a sailboat, right? The the power, the speed of the sailboat is going to be based on the wind that pushes it. And somewhat the direction of the sailboat is going to be determined on the direction of the wind. The direction and the power of the boat is determined by the pneuma. And since the Bible is God's word, it's directed by the Spirit of God to men on what to write. And because of that, it has authoritative power. And because it has authoritative power, because it is God's word, it's useful to us. Paul says it's useful, first of all, for teaching. What is teaching? Well, teaching here means instruction. Timothy was going to have to counter the attacks of false teachers. So he needed to use the scriptures to teach orthodoxy and orthopraxy. What do I mean by that? Correct doctrine, orthodoxy, what you believe, and correct living, orthopraxy, what you practice, what you do. So people need to understand, and people need to know the gospel, need to know the Bible to understand their need for salvation, and to understand how to live in the light of that salvation. Paul says not only is it good for teaching, it's good for reproof and correction. The Bible has a, a disciplinary authority. It exercises authority over those who deviate away from its teachings. A reproof or rebuking means that the Bible points out our sin to us, it shows our disobedience, and it confronts it. Correction recognizes that such a deviation has occurred and then needs to be corrected, needs to be fixed. So the person who has strayed away from the truth of the Bible and needs to be brought back to godly living in a gracious and loving yet firm way. Think about in the Old Testament. Israel consistently disobeyed God, and God would send judgments upon them, and they would suffer because of their rebellion. There would be discipline taking place, but God would use that to correct their sinfulness. The New Testament continues to provide stories and instructions and warnings about disobedience to those who have failed to conform their lives to God's word, God's revelation to us. But what this also means for us is it's the Holy Spirit's job to use the Holy Scriptures to convict people of sin. It's not mine. I'm not here to beat you upon the head with your sin. It's not yours to beat other people upon the head with their sin. Right? It's the Holy Spirit using the Word of God to show people that they are living contrary to God's will. And so, by doing so, when we apply this to our, to our evangelism, that means that we need to be in prayer for the Spirit to work in people's lives, to reveal their sin to them. And we need to utilize Scripture in sharing the message of the Gospel. Why? Because Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is living and effective and is sharper than any double-edged sword that penetrates as far as the separation of the soul 
and the spirit of joints and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So it's useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuke and correction. And third of all, it's useful for training in righteousness. This is the counterpoint to this correction idea. This is a a more proactive approach, a more positive guidance, if you will, on how to mature in the faith and conduct that is acceptable to the Lord. And one area that I think many churches have begun to lack in is the training in righteousness. It was once normal to have a focused time of discipleship training. And I know that this church once had uh, discipleship training classes on Sunday evenings, and I'm not necessarily advocating for a return to that, but what we do need to do is make sure that we're training not just ourselves, not just our adults, but our children and our, our young people in what it means to live a godly life. Before we have to correct them and discipline them, we show them the path to take. What is right? What is wrong? What do the ethics of the gospel mean? So we must work in small groups to train one another. We must train children one-on-one and in small groups what it means to live righteous lives. But notice what Paul says the goal is. He says, The Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that, for the purpose that, the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. See, the goal is not simply to keep us busy. The goal is to equip believers to be ready for every good work. Studying the Bible and maturing in the faith is it's not just for our own good. It is for our own good, but it's not simply for our own good. But continuing in this commitment enables us to do whatever it is that God has called us to do. So Timothy could withstand false teachers and believers who were leaving the faith and the persecution that was coming around him because God had equipped him to the task. God doesn't call us to do something without first equipping us and enabling us through the power of His Spirit and the power of His Word to accomplish the task. Well, I believe that God has equipped our church and is calling us to minister to the children of Mansville and the areas surrounding us. I believe that God has given several of you the ability to minister, to teach, to work with children on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings and Wednesday nights so that we can train them up in righteousness. And I believe that our church should lead all the Christian churches in this town and in this area in ministry to children. COVID has given us a time to pause. The pandemic has caused us to to take some time to step back from what we were doing and to evaluate it. And now it's time for us to get back into it. Maybe not doing the exact same thing that we were doing, but we need to get back and do what God has called us and equipped us to do. Now is the time to step up and to show faith by living out the calling God has given to us. Now I said earlier that this passage had two main challenges. Two main challenges. The first challenge is for those who have been believers for some period of time. Notice that Timothy did not seek Paul out. 
Paul learned of Timothy, and he went to Timothy and asked him to join Paul on his journey. Now, many of you have been believers for a long time, which means that you have some experience to share. And you may say, well, I don't, I don't know how well an, old, an older person would do with youth. How am I supposed to connect with teenagers? Some of the best youth workers I've ever had were the retired folks. Because they had the time, they had the experience, they had raised children, they had raised grandchildren, some of them, and were on great-grandchildren. <laughs> they knew how to interact with them, show love to them, just as you would your own biological children and grandchildren. Maybe you say, well, I don't know how I can connect with kids. They, I can hand them a phone and they can do things I don't even know how to do. But you can. You can. It's time for you to seek out young believers, to seek out children, to instruct them in the gospel, and to be an example to them. Well, the second challenge is to continue to be trained in righteousness. The reality is that none of us have reached perfection, nor will we until Christ comes back. So we must seek those who are further along their faith journey, who have different experiences than we do, and have them invest in our lives to train us, to encourage us, to help mold us. You can't grow in faithfulness alone. I suppose you can, but it's not going to work out well. And here's the reality. There may be some here today that haven't even begun a faith journey yet because you haven't accepted Christ yet. You can't grow in righteousness under human power. The only way that you can progress in godliness and righteousness is by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. If you try to do it in human power, you'll become tired. You'll become frustrated because you're trying to do something on your own that you simply can't do. But when you accept Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, Scripture says that you receive power because the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you, to give you, power to live in holiness. So if you've never repented of your sin, if you've never believed that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, you've never confessed Jesus as God, the Bible says that if you do that, you will be saved, you will be empowered by the Spirit to live a godly, righteous life. Paul challenged Timothy to continue in the faith, to lead others into it. He Pass the baton to Timothy. And that baton has been passed from Timothy to generation to generation to generation down to us. And now it's time that we pass the baton on to the next generation. Let's go to the Lord.